So when you come home, there's nothing cool to talk about. You can't go home and say, babe, I shot a machine gun off the back of a <laughs> um, a boat today and lit an island on fire because the tracer rounds lit the whole the whole grassy <laughs> mountain up and it was awesome. And yeah. then I got to do some fishing on the way home and that was my day at work. What would you do? Welcome to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Talking business ownership, the nuts and bolts and everything in between. G'day and welcome to the Tradies Business Show. Great to have you with me. Always uh, love putting these episodes together. Bit of an interesting uh, sound grab there at the start. Uh, shooting machine guns off the backs of boats and uh, setting islands on fire. Not the normal sort of guest we would have here on the Tradies Business Show, but uh, certainly someone that I've wanted to chat to for a while and uh, crazy that it took me so long to get uh, today's guest on the show. Jason Erbacher is a good mate of mine and uh, a former soldier in the Australian Army. Uh, served this country for a number of years and uh, he uh, he left the uh, the military and promptly went into business. And that's one of the reasons I want to chat to Jason on today's show, is uh, on today's episode, is to talk about that whole transition and change of career or change of role and uh, it's something that i certainly see a lot of tradespeople wrestle with is particularly as they come off the tools those feelings of not really producing anything not being effective not achieving goals because all they do is sit behind a computer and maybe process invoices or book facebook marketing or create systems, or sit in team meetings and do all those things that leave you feeling a little unfulfilled, perhaps. And uh, I even have a couple of my business wingman clients that are are working through this stuff at the moment. So was keen to have a chat to Jason about this. He exited the military, as I said, went into business, learned some hard lessons, and um, learned some hard lessons about how that impacted things at home as well with uh, with the wife. So... Great episode. Um, love chatting with Jason. Jason and I tend to go down some rabbit holes when we get together <laughs> and uh, talk about some deep and meaningful stuff. So really enjoyed this chat uh, with Jason today. I hope you do too. Stick around till the end. I've got some information for you on uh, a little competition that I'm running at the moment and uh, you could win some stuff and you might want some more information about Jason and uh, and maybe about CrossFit. So strap yourself in, release the safety, and uh, and have a listen to my my chat with Jason Erbacher. So with me today is Jason Erbacher. He's the owner of CrossFit Confront and uh, a former servant of the country, mate. Uh, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, Was Good to be here. <laughs> no worries, mate. So uh, you might want to unpack that a little bit for the listeners, Jason. Um, give us give us your bio, mate, in, in sort of 100 words or less. Rightio. So uh, left school, dabbled a little bit in uh, chefing, figured that wasn't for me. Working <laughs> when my mates are partying is not my style of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, always had a uh, burning desire to join the military, so I did. Uh, didn't quite get into the jobs that I wanted to in the military, but I went for it anyway. Spent close to or well, eight years in the military. Uh, served in Darwin, Townsville. Deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, 
And it was during one of my deployments that I discovered CrossFit, which turned out to be my next uh, career progression. Mm -hmm. And since that day, it was sort of a a slow progression out of the military, uh, doing a bit of coaching and getting educated enough to do this outside the military. And then took the leap and got out and um, decided I wanted to come back to Toowoomba and do that full time. And and here we sit. Uh, Yeah, so CrossFit Confront has been running for... Close to five years now, five years in February, mm-hmm. so four solid years, and uh, yeah, we've definitely had our shares of ups and downs and learning experiences along the way, yep. uh, but yeah, it's going good. We're, we've hit a bit of momentum recently, and we're just trying to carry that forward into the new year and just keep it going into 2018, so. Mm. And you've just yeah. had uh, your third bub, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's been a busy year. Uh, it's gone by so quickly that I haven't even realized how busy it's been, but we've you know, bought and sold a house, had a new baby, you know, made improvements and additions to the gym and all kinds of stuff, so. Yeah, cool, mate. So, obviously, uh, you know, former, well, I, I don't know what we're supposed to refer to you as, mate, a serviceman or... Soldier. A soldier. <laughs> that sounds yep. better. Yeah, just keep it simple. <laughs> That's what the um, army's about, mate. Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I won't be derogatory to soldiers, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good and bad thing. Yeah. So, uh, you've been out for how long now? Uh, so, I got out sort of at the end of 2011. So, I've been out for a good six six years seven years so yep and you're not fully out though are you like you still dabble a bit yeah i like to keep my toe in things um (laughs) so i got out and almost immediately found a a reserve position and it's vastly different to what i was doing in the military so i actually work at a museum um as uh i don't know what my job title is out there sort of assistant curator type position Mm -hmm. um but yeah, it allows me to be a little bit creative. I'm not constrained by the uh, left and right of arc that my old job used to have in the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, the Australian Army Flying Museum. So, you know, it's sort of our charter to protect, protect preserve and present the history of the uh, Australian Army flying. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's a very rewarding job. Um, we work with a bunch of elderly volunteers I won't say elderly, but uh, volunteers of all ages, but mostly ex-servicemen um, and their mates that they've dragged along. Yep. And they build replica aircraft and they main, maintain current aircraft for display and things like that. So, mm. yeah. So, it's interesting and, and one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you on the podcast, Jason, is about this contrast between military service and, and I guess a military job, uh, if we look at it that way, and business ownership and, and civvy life. Uh, you're obviously still involved with the the um, Army Air Museum and so you still have, I guess, some insights into that. But what's what's it been like coming out of the military or what was it like coming out of the military and starting a business and, I guess, in some ways integrating into civilian life? Yeah, well, there's a, a few very clear sectors of that transition so you know the first one first transition was getting out of the military and just stepping into a normal civilian job um as a personal trainer um i worked for a few other places before i started my gym so i was an employee for a period of time um not just straight into business ownership how did did that go for you mate yeah it definitely had its challenges um (laughs) what were some of those uh well, I think I definitely had some of my own challenges in that I I was very driven towards a specific goal. 
So working for a, an employee that has other ideas uh, was challenging. Um, but then I guess when you've got such defined goals, uh, the progression towards those goals, or well, for me it was important that they were quite clear how everything was progressing. And uh, I found there was a lot of ambiguity in the progression that I was taking in that I was getting told one thing by an employer and uh, whether it panned out that way or not was a different different matter. So I, I'd end up working hard to build something with promise, promises dangled in front of me mm. and then minds would change and all the work you've been doing uh, above and beyond the colleagues around you is for nothing and you've gone back to square one sort of thing. So mm. I guess uh, the military gave you a very black and white understanding of your progression through your career you know, spending a certain amount of time in a rank, uh, doing a certain amount of courses. And then after that time and after completion of those courses, moving to the next level. Whereas Civilian Street, it's hugely up to your employer as to where you go and how quickly you go there. And at the end of the day, whether you go there at all. So that bugged me a lot. Um, and yeah, definitely caused some angst in my transition from you know military life to civilian life. Mm. And I would say definitely pushed me into business ownership uh, quicker than I probably would have imagined. It wasn't a bad thing. It's just the decision to become a business owner was a little bit more turbulent than passive. I would yep. say so. So what yeah. was what was the what was the lure of business ownership, mate? Like, like obviously um, being an employee wasn't for you, which which strikes me as being not strange. I wouldn't say that to you, mate, because you're bigger than me, but. Uh, you know, coming from the military, I suppose as a as a civilian myself, I would look at military service and being an employee and think, okay, well, you're working to a set of rules, there's a structure, you've got a role to fill. Hopefully, your employer employer has reasonably clear guidelines, and maybe that's the gap that we're identifying yeah. here. But um, why business ownership, mate? Um, I think for me personally, it was about control. So I just felt like where I was, uh, I wasn't in control of what was happening to me. Um, and the army, whilst it gives you a lot of structure and guidance on what to do every day and where your career is going over the period of time, <coughs> pardon me, it, it also gives you, um, a very keen sense of what you're capable of. So the military from day one, they pride themselves in breaking you down and building you up to be the human that they want you to be. And that usually involves a little bit more initiative and vigor in the way you act in day-to-day life uh so to work for someone and have that vigor and uh, uh you know ambition quashed mm. to suit their mold uh got really old for me really quick so eventually i was like i can't handle this anymore um i'm not in control here and i'm going to take the lead and just go for it myself mm. and admittedly when i started um, you know, there was a whole lot of things that I didn't consider about that that decision. Uh, but they they were punches that I took later on, and uh, I definitely didn't regret the decision. It's just there was a whole lot more involved in it than initially thought. So yep, yeah. So what what were some of those things, mate? I mean, you talk about uh, I guess some of those hard lessons that happened. Um. What were some of the biggest ones? What were some of the keys? Um, well, see, I, I loved CrossFit and I loved training and I loved coaching people. 
But what I didn't count on is all the admin stuff that was required, you know, the maintenance, uh, the budgeting, the paying of bills, the, you know, training team members, um, customer relations, taking inquiries, uh, actively building the business. Mm. They're all things that sort of fell into my lap rather than um, me taking control of them from the get-go. I sort of had to learn how to deal with each of those things um, in unison with everything else that was happening around me Mm. Um, and not just handle them but actually do them well and create a system that's good enough to carry you forward rather than just bumbling your way through it the whole time. So yeah, I I learned the hard way about systems or lack thereof (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, you know, creating a repeatable process because I found that the way I was bringing people into the gym initially was quite haphazard and not planned. So um, it was just sort of, I was stumbling through. (laughs) Make it up as you go. Yeah, pretty much so. So obviously you've learned some hard lessons, mate. I'm curious to know what, what you thought business ownership was going to be like because you said there's all these other things that you hadn't considered and I and I don't mean to sound uh, I don't know what the word is incredulous or maybe like a smart ass because mm. I've been in business for half of my life yep and sitting here listening to you say that it's like well what the fuck did you think it was yeah, gonna be <laughs> that's right that's right yeah I've, I've had the same thoughts about myself as well you sort of look back on your experiences and you're like wow I yeah. really I really jumped in head first there and uh what I thought business was going to be, I thought business was going to be turn up to the, my gym and do what I wanted to do and um, get paid more money for doing it because I'm the guy who takes the money and uh, yeah, have free time and all this kind of stuff. The gym would just build itself and yep. I'd just sit back and just cruise along. But Sounds awesome, mate. Yeah. No wonder so many people go into business. Yeah. And it, uh, <laughs> I've, I've talked to a lot of other gym owners and... I did what they talk about or reference a lot, and that was coach math, where you go, well, hold on a minute, rent's only $25,000 a year, and you know I only have to pay a coach this much to run these other classes for me, mm. and if I can get this many members that pay me this much money, then holy shit, like that's a heap of profit <laughs> that I can just coast off, and I'll, be, I'll pretty much be a millionaire yeah. after a couple of months. <laughs> and uh, Are there many CrossFit affiliate millionaires, mate? Um, I'd, other I'd than Greg Glassman? don't think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's absolutely some hugely successful affiliates out there. Um, but because of the way that CrossFit coaches evolve, they usually come from another profession. Mm. They fall in love with CrossFit. A lot of them make uh, the t- decision that they want that to be their career mm-hmm. or their life from that point. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people make the same assumptions and just walk straight straight into business ownership without actually you know thinking in depth or going and gaining any real experience or knowledge and just finding out the hard way yep. um and I, I can definitely say that we're absolutely not successful uh as i would like to be mm. i mean i set a pretty high bar and i don't mm. think i'll ever be as successful as i want to be it's i think if you are you set the bar too low and you'll stop progressing and you'll stagnate yep um but yeah we've definitely made some uh really educated decisions of of late and they haven't come to me on my own. I've I've had to seek out the information and uh take some good hard, you know, look at myself and figure mm. out what I'm doing wrong. So the ability to be self critical in, in being a business owner is absolutely essential. Like if you don't have the ability to sit down and go, I'm really shit at this, um, I need to do better, um, and seek out the information or find someone who can do it for you, 
then you're going to fail. Has that been hard for you, Jason? Um, I personally would say no. Uh, like, yes, it is a, a hit to the ego when some issues arise mm. and you've got to fix it. Um, but I tend to be a very critical person as it is of myself. And I also love seeking out information. So I love being a student um, and learning things. So having the ability to identify firstly your faults and then have the initiative and you know the lack of ego to go and find the information to fix it mm. or even find someone else, which is harder sometimes, yep. who are going to tell you what you're doing wrong um, is pretty important. And uh, yeah, there's some areas where I struggle with it because my ego is attached to those areas. Mm-hmm. But in other areas like finance, I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong yep. um, and when I'm out of my depth. Hence why my wife pays most of the bills. Because, <laughs> yeah, I have a hugely... Um, a huge sense of awareness that I sh- I'm shit at money. So it's it's a common story amongst blokes, uh, and I've been working with business owners as a as a coach and a mentor for ten years, and I've been in business for for half my life, as I said, which is more than ten. Uh, and one of the most common paradigms is the woman takes care of the finances, yeah, and the blokes doing the job, yeah, and probably sales and and more of that sort of. Yeah. Uh, you know, catch and kill type approach. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yep. It's just interesting to see. Yeah. It's not necessarily the best way. It just seems to be yep. how it usually yeah. falls in the line. That's right. I think I think if I took care of the finances, I'd have more of an acute sense of what's happening financially within my business. Mm. Mm. But on the same token, sometimes I don't want to have that acute sense of <laughs> what's happening financially. I just want to focus on the task at hand. Yep. And as it's progressed, the task at hand for me is coaching the classes I need to coach, but also focusing on business development and you know building strong systems to move forward with the gym. So, mm. yeah, I think it's it's a, a benefit and a downside having someone else handle the financial side of uh, the business. But mm. we we often educate each other, <laughs> whether it's in the right way or the wrong way. That's well put, mate. Yeah, on what's <laughs> on what's lacking within the gym. So yeah, it yeah, works. Okay. <laughs> it works in its own haphazard way. So. <laughs> So one of the one of the other things I want to talk to you about, and I'm sure we'll loop back to some of these points yeah. again, is obviously coming out of the military. Um, my again, my perception is you would have a high degree of clarity about your role, how to carry it out, how yeah. it fits within the greater organisation. Yeah. And then uh, you know, if we skip your uh, your little trial period as an employee, because that clearly didn't work yeah. well for you, no, it wasn't or, a great or for experience. your employer, I suspect. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but into business ownership. Um, how have you found that shift in identity? Uh, it was hard. Um, when you leave the military, generally when people leave, they've had enough. They've decided it's not for them anymore. And again, like jumping into a business ownership, when you leave the military, you jump head first into leaving the military. And it's only later that you sit back and realize that you've lost a lot. Uh, generally, you've lost a lot of pay. <laughs> yep. That's something that we all take for granted in the military is the package that we're on. So. Mm. You know, subsidised rent, uh, you know, good salary, lots of leave, mm. uh, benefits going outfield, benefits being separated from your partners or your families, you know, service allowance, that's that's the money side of things. So you feel that straight away. Yep. Unless you're lucky enough to walk into a high paying job, which some people are, others not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing you, you lose is that I, I guess uh, you lose a lot of uh, sense of belonging. Like you've just belonged to this pretty great organization uh, for a decent period of your life Um, and as much as you might despise it as you leave you look back on it 
and realize that even though you're a small part of that machine, you still were part of the machine and it was it was mm. a great feeling knowing that uh, you're part of a pretty prestigious and well-respected force um, around the world. And uh, when you leave, you sort of lose that chunk of yourself and you're like, well, what what's my meaning now? And like you said, when you're in the military, everyone has their clear and defined role, their job, mm. their piece, mm. uh, their bit. And then when you leave... You don't have that anymore. No one's relying on you to do your job to do their job, mm. uh, for which you know then determines the success or failure of the mission. Um, you just you, and that's it. Yep. Uh, and you can still have your family units. You can still have your group of friends, um, but often when you come back from the military, you don't click or vibe with your group of friends anymore. You've had different experiences in life. You, you know, you've 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 changed as a person. Um, and quite often, you know, this sounds bad to say, but the people who stayed in your hometown, they haven't really changed much. They're still just doing them. Mm. Yeah, they're working jobs that they may or may not have kept or changed or whatever. Mm. And you've been places and you've done things, often really cool things and exciting things and dangerous things. And you come back and it's just, it's just Pleasantville. It's black and white. It's, you know, you just slide back in and expect yeah. that you're going to be happy when in reality, you've lost a huge chunk of what you've been built for. So there's that. Uh, and the other thing I realized quite quickly is that mateship was hard to kindle outside of the military. Uh, like I've got military mates now that I can call up at the drop of a hat, having not talked to them for four or five years. And we can hit the town and have a great time together, talk about old times, talk about new times, talk about anything really, because we've had that those shared hardships and you know, good and bad experiences that we can relate to each other with, and mm. you sort of you sort of find out more about people when you're in bad situations or hard situations. Mm. Whereas when you're just coasting through life and you're making friends that way, they don't seem to have the same body and soul as the friendships you gain within the military. So, you know, trying to make friends with colleagues outside the military is harder, and it it doesn't have the same essence as military mates. So, mm. I found found that a big struggle um but yeah i think that's another thing that you've got to realize about yourself is it's up to you to make those relationships and you've got to find the right people and talk to the right people and yeah you can't just rely on the machine to to form those relationships for you so yeah they were two big things i didn't count on when i got out of the military um that sort of did impact me they didn't impact me immediately because i was still in that honeymoon period of leaving the military and being my own man and you know all that stuff but yeah then it hit me later on that i was like i feel a little bit lost and lonely mm. and uh yeah so yeah 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 so you mentioned family a couple times jason and and i'm still on that transition from military to civilian slash business life yep how obviously you know you've had um kids sort of since leaving um how's it affected that relationship though you know, pre and post, because I, I imagine it would be tough for a lot of spouses, um, you know, male, female, or same sex, whatever, uh, to be with someone going through that transition. How was mm. it for you guys? Uh, it was tough. You know, we had our transitional issues. Uh, one of them was actually opposite to what you would think, and it was tough being in, in each other's pockets so much. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, you actually have to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, you, and you have to find something daily to, you know, <laughs> love about each other. Yeah. When in, in the military, you get sent away a lot, so 
you might be home for a couple of weeks and then you go on a course for a week to a month to three months or whatever it is. Um, and then you come home again, you're in that bit of a honeymoon period, like mm. you've missed each other. Um, you've been separated for a while. You know, you've got all these things that you're looking forward to before you left or as you're coming home. So you, yeah. you, you hook straight into that and uh, you live your life on a little bit of a, a schedule in that respect. And then you leave the military and you don't no longer go away mm. and you're there all the time. And you annoy the shit out of each other. <laughs> you, you come home at night, it's just Groundhog Day. Nothing really interesting happened at the gym. I mean, we are changing people's lives on a daily basis and we're teaching people to move properly and be fitter and stronger and healthier. Mm. But in essence, the act of doing that is repetitive. Repetition mm. builds that. So when you come home, there's nothing cool to talk about. You can't go home and say, babe, I shot a machine gun off the back of a... <laughs> Um, a boat today and lit an island on fire because the trace around lit the whole the whole grassy <laughs> mountain up and it was awesome and yeah. then I got to do some fishing on the way home and that was my day at work what'd you do yeah and that's how it goes and you know you sort of you get really sick of each other real in reality and uh, you also I guess uh, when you're in the military you, you tend to sort of set holidays um, fairly regularly so. Mm. You get given leave at certain periods during the year, so you, you plan your holidays. And when you don't do that, you can suddenly fall into this this trap of feeling like you've got nothing to look forward to and mm. that everything's just a grind. And, um, and yeah, the one thing I did enjoy, though, leaving the military was spending more time consistently with my kids. Mm. Um, my first daughter, I left for Afghanistan when she was three months old. So I didn't see her for nine months. Um, until I got back. I mean, I did see her in the middle for a couple of days when we went on leave. Yep. But ultimately, I missed a good portion of her first year, whereas the other two, um, I've had a decent opportunity to be a real, real mm. big part of their lives. And in fact, the business has given me a little bit of freedom of time now that I can actually be a stay-at-home dad. So get out my tactical nappy bag and take the <laughs> reins and and uh, I'm actually about to step into that role again in the next five weeks or so when Emma goes back to work. So I'll be running the gym and doing the other jobs that I do as well as looking after a you know, six-month-old sort of thing. So, cool, mate. Yeah, so there, there is definitely ups and downs to those you know military mm. issues versus civilian life. And uh, mm. yeah, we, we did have to work hard on our relationship outside of the military um and again it was all factors that we didn't foresee when we left as we thought everything was going to be peachy because i wasn't going away all the time and would have more time at home but in reality that bit us in the ass when it actually happened so yeah, yeah. yep yeah there's a, there's a bit of a theme of uh you know not not having a full understanding of what you're about to face yeah you know, that's that right transition from Yep. You know, military life to owning a yeah. business with the whole relationship thing as Absolutely, well. And I yeah. guess, you know, we're both we're both dads. That parenthood thing is probably yep. the epitome yep. of all of them. It's like, yeah. holy shit, I had no idea this that's is right. what was going to happen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the defense does do a transition seminar that you, it's compulsory that you attend before you leave the military. How, uh, how long does that go for, mate? Yeah, it's about two days. Okay. <laughs> if that. And a lot of it's just, you know, um, administration. Uh, it's like when you get out of the military, you're going to have to update your super and you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to do that and you're going to have to find yourself a home. You don't get rent, uh, rent assistance anymore and um, have this sorted out and have that sorted out, but they don't ever sit down and actually tell you like mm -hmm. when you leave, you might have this huge 
after a couple of months, you might find this despair that you're not actually part of this big prestigious machine anymore. You're mm. you're just you, mm. and uh, they don't talk about those issues. And um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a a shortfall in that they indoctrinate you for military life so hard, like they like basic training. Like I said, is all about breaking you down and turning you into the human being that they want you to be and acting a certain way and yep. and thinking certain ways about situations and then when you leave you're not quite prepared for the absence of that mm. you know that influence so yeah yeah i i uh, often think about that um i guess when people gain weight generally it's it's over a long period of time and it's mm. gradually yep. and then you know, they make that decision that they want to lose the weight, yeah. And when it doesn't happen in a week, yep, they're left right. feeling defeated and mm-hmm. and lost, and yep. And it's it's unrealistic to think that you could unwind five or ten or twenty years yeah. of of your life in a two day seminar. That's right, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I guess as uh, some of the work that I do with suicide prevention, and and um, uh, you know, that's through. Uh, mates in construction and I've done a little bit of work here and there with with some return services groups Um, it's something that I hear a lot is that you basically like you say you you get indoctrinated so hard and then literally they just open the door and say thanks for that see ya here's a pamphlet good luck that's the feeling you get and uh, with some of the organisations particularly on exit from the fence they actually I, I personally felt a little bit subhuman in the way that they treated you because you God forbid made the decision to separate from the defense force. Mm. So you do get that little bit of a kick in the guts that regardless of what you did while you're in the military, this distinct feeling of when you leave, it was all for nothing. And that, yeah, any pride that you have about that is gone because you're out now. So yeah, it sort of ends abruptly. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I still wear camouflage caps and I love military stuff and I, keep up to date with all the latest military news and stuff and i think it's just that mechanism of just holding on a little bit to what you're a part of mm-hmm. and i mean they always say once a soldier always a soldier and i can definitely agree with that because sometimes you're holding on to some of the greatest days of your life when you're in the military so um yeah because because so. a lot of it you go in as a young bloke yeah particularly for men yep. it's, it's a very uh formative period in us i i I feel transitioning from that sort of teenage, early 20s years yep. to being late 20s, 30s, into yeah. your 40s. Like that's that's, right. that's a, a key period as a man. Yeah, absolutely. Finding out who the hell you are and what do you stand for yep. and how do you respond to things. Yeah. And, and uh, to do all that inside that organization with a certain structure and, and incredibly strong culture. Yeah. Um, and then to no longer be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like you don't even get the gold watch. Yep. You know, that's right. It's just a handshake and a pat on the bum yep. and thanks for your service. Yeah, well, there was there was a time I joined up when I was 17. So there was a a time where I would have been the youngest member of the military and being born in December. Mm. So I was sort of, I was at basic training um, as early as I could be almost. And uh, yeah, and then some key milestones was turning 20 as I flew through Kuwait into Iraq and actually forgetting my birthday on that day because I was so involved in the mission or what we're about to fly into sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. The I think the key development period for men happened for me while I was in the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm definitely still learning about myself now, having separated from the military. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was 
that was a huge part of my life that was influenced by the military culture. And actually, I do not regret it at all. I think uh, the military has made me who I am today. And given the opportunity, I would do the military part of my life exactly how I'd done it. So mm. I wouldn't have changed anything. Maybe the job that I was in the military, but I wouldn't have changed anything. So, yeah. It's it's an interesting point, Jason. And, and uh, I guess, you know, without, without digging too deep into the... Uh, philosophy of it all it's almost impossible you know i'm sitting here as a civvy um you're a military man you're saying you wouldn't change anything i say the same thing about my life and and some of the the good and bad experiences well i don't i, don't, I try not to label them as bad i yeah. guess learning opportunities, <laughs> learning opportunities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> personal growth opportunities i've had yeah. a shitload yeah my mum actually said that to me the other day as like <laughs> the latest round of things have been going on she said you certainly haven't been short of experiences in your life, Warwick. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. <laughs> coming from my mum, that was pretty big. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, but it's almost impossible to to look back without seeing through our own lens, yeah. through our own filter. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's not to invalidate your experience and your way of seeing the world or, or you know becoming a man. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's it's almost an acknowledgement that we're all going to see it in our own way. Yeah. That's and right. uh, you know, to judge people based on that is is very dangerous. I think um, you're definitely right. Uh, like soldiers, especially soldiers that have deployed on operations around the world, they often come back and they get labels as angry. Mm. And I, I guess it's not angry. It's just that we've seen different things and we've we've seen other cultures and other countries in a way that you'll only ever see if you're at war. Mm. And uh, you see the worst and the best parts of those cultures and and not just cultures but just uh, opinions on certain issues and reactions to issues that people have in life, you know, first world problems as we call them. And you do get this high level of frustration when people start whinging about things that they're really menial, like they, they mm. don't mean anything at the end of the day. Like who cares if your coffee went up in price or, yep. you know, I'm pretty bad with road rage. Like, I get angry, but I think it's because people aren't moving efficiently. Like, yep. <laughs> dri- driving a motor vehicle is a uh, a quest for efficiency in my eyes. You want to get from A to B as efficiently as possible and as safely as possible. So when you see someone on their mobile phone checking Facebook, holding you up from getting through the traffic light, you, you do get angry. But I guess that's another first world problem in effect. Mm. But yeah, you do. You have this uh, huge... I don't know, difference of approach when it comes to life after experiencing some of those things. And it's it's either going to help you or hinder you in what you choose to do outside of the military. Mm. Um, you know, if, if I stayed angry and didn't see things and understand that I've been through certain uh, experiences that have molded me this way and just took it for granted, then I'd definitely continue resenting everyone around me for thinking about life the way they do and reacting to life the way they do mm. and i guess the benefit for me is that i'm in a position of influence within the gym where i can shape people's expectations of life and uh make them just a little bit more resilient <laughs> so and it's something that strikes me i did a little bit of work a few years ago with an organization that was that was helping to um give vets a new mission yeah and a high proportion of um, returned servicemen actually end up in small business. Yeah. Because there's that ownership thing, you know, they're Mm -hmm. looking to create outcomes and all that sort of stuff. Um, Achieve goals, you know, they're often very Mm -hmm. goal-oriented in my experience. And 
it's uh, I, I I get the feeling that you know being a CrossFit affiliate, um, you're directly changing individuals. Yeah. You're not selling them iPads. No, that's right. Um, or you know tires for their car or some crap. Yeah. Sorry, those things are still essential services, <laughs> I guess, in in the first world. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. you know you're directly working on individuals. Yeah. And so Absolutely. you're seeing the fruits of your actions yeah. and even of your coaching team. Like, yeah. do, do you think that gives you that mission? And something that I want to talk about is finding that next mission for you. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, I suppose when I first got out of the military, or no, actually when I first started the business, I had a different mindset. And it was probably the wrong mindset in that I just wanted to create elite athletes. And that was my focus. But then I realized along the way through a little bit of coaching from the right people that elite athletes are about one percent of the population mm. and that 98 percent of the population need to be there for a better life yep. and so i get more gratification now from teaching or coaching these people than i do the guys that want to they want to be the next crossfit games champion because those elite athletes they're going to train anywhere you can you can kick them out of the gym today and they'll be in another gym training tomorrow mm. whereas if i kick out the person that's pre-diabetic and obese and has mobility issues and things like that mm. they're not going to go and train somewhere else you've got the opportunity to pull them into the gym train them and and teach them a better way or a better approach to life and health and fitness mm. that they're not going to go and find elsewhere you you've you've captured them so mm. it's your responsibility then to to teach them that stuff and and guide them on that path and i guess that's where the great uh, the biggest gratification comes from in our job is is seeing someone adapt and evolve so we've had athletes in our gym that have gone from you know being overweight and having a bad attitude about health and fitness to you know they can do pull-ups and muscle-ups and handstand push-ups and handstand walks they can climb ropes and throw around heavy barbells and mm. that's just in the gym Yep. Then the mental adaption that you see within them as well is, you know, if they know that they can put that 50 kilo barbell above their head, squat it for as long as they their legs will hold out, yep. then what tasks are they going to encounter in day-to-day life that come close to that? Mm. And I can tell you it's going to be virtually zero mm. unless you're in an emergency situation. Yeah. But, you know, going to the office, going shopping, picking up your kids from school, playing on the playground, walking over a, a hiking track or whatever – is not going to present anywhere near as much of a challenge as what these people face every day they come into the gym. So mm. that mental adaption that people go through is profound and it's it's probably the greatest adaption I find is uh, the mental adaption is, is far more profound than the physical adaption mm-hmm. and more valuable than the physical adaption uh, in how to deal with life. And then the, f- the health benefits and the obvious, you know, uh, fitness benefits as well yeah they're gonna benefit that person going into the future and live a longer life and a mm. more valuable life and yeah it's it is it's it's that's the mission these days so uh we've molded our gym and we've changed our processes and stuff to facilitate those types of people mm-hmm. uh we don't facilitate for elite athletes at all they often need extra work uh, and things like I mean, we can cater for that, mm. but um, it's, it's definitely not our focus, and we haven't branded or built our gym towards that focus. Mm. Um, and I think we've benefited, benefited from it, not just business-wise, but emotionally, and uh, it's just a better place to be training those types of people. So, yeah. And certainly, as a as a member um, and a part of the team there as well, uh, when I turn up, mate, is um, is the culture is different. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, it's it's 
it's a different um, level of conversation and, mm. and level of inclusiveness. Uh, yeah. Having people who are just looking to live a better life yeah. than trying to get the last 5 or 10% out of their, yeah. their performance. Absolutely. Like even myself um, in my ups and downs with my own training and some of that, that I contribute to um, having a lack of direction in life is like what am I training for these days mm. I've had to change my mindset from training for the mission or you know training for military life um, to now just training and finding new meaning behind it in that I just want to move and be fit so mm. you know <laughs> getting rid of that ego and taking some of the weight off the bar in certain situations and just just being happy with movement rather than being the best in the room or you know fit for the mission yeah. uh Yep, it's been a big step for me as well. So, it's it's an interesting point, Jason, and and one that I know a lot of business owners struggle with, and and I've struggled with it personally over the years. Is this idea of setting goals? Yeah, and I've got you know twenty books behind me in the bookcase here mm-hmm. about goal setting, and some say you should set goals, and here's how to do it. And others say setting goals is bad, yeah, and you shouldn't do it. Uh, and in the end, I've just kind of stopped reading books about anything mm-hmm. to do with goal setting yeah, yeah. It's like yep. there's so many conflicting opinions that's right sort of like nutrition but uh for you i guess my perception is that in in the military you would have goals set for you by yep. somebody else by the organization that's right and you know here's the pathway go do that and that's what we're going to achieve yep how the bloody hell do you make the transition from that to having to set your own goals and you, and create your own mini or larger missions in life? Yeah, that's right. I think um, I myself, I'm not a big proponent of setting goals, specific goals sort of thing. I have a, a desired end state that I want to achieve. Mm. And then my method of uh, thinking according to that end state is if I do this next step, step or take this next action mm. – how is that going to move me towards my end state? So that end state becomes my driving force rather than I need to get to 150 members. Mm. How do I do that? Let's do it, go. It's more along the lines of changing my mindset into this is the end state I want to achieve and anything that distracts me from that is not worth pursuing. You know, This is where I want to be and going for it. Yep. But you're right, the military has very specific goals. We don't call them goals. It's like phase one involves yeah. this and it's going to be completed by this stage and mm. if that doesn't go ahead then phase two will fail yep. and you know there's very specific orders and mm. and tasks that have to be done by certain timelines and that works in the military because uh, you've got the structures there to make it work you've got hierarchy keeping you on track you've got the threat of death yep. <laughs> hanging over your head if you don't perform in some areas uh you've got you know the fear of you and your actions being the reason that a mission fails hanging over your head. So you're extremely motivated towards those goals or phases or missions, uh, whereas you don't get that outside. It's, it's easy to go, this is my goal. This mm. is what I'm working towards, and I have to have this done by Friday, and that's on Monday. You get yeah. to Wednesday, and you're like, it doesn't matter. If I don't achieve that goal, who am I affecting? No one. It's just me. And because you don't have those fears hanging over you, Things just don't get done the way you want them to do. Well, this is my experience anyway. Um, So finding a different way of motivating myself has been important. Mm -hmm. And the five-year goal thing, you know, that exercise of writing down your five-year goal, it worked to a degree. I just have this vision in my head of what I want my gym to be. 
uh, in terms of profitability and professionalism and stature within the fitness community in Toowoomba and Australia and wherever else. Mm -hmm. And most of the decisions that I make these days are are hugely reliant upon whether it's going to move me towards that goal. So that's just how I approach goals these days. Um, I'm the best person for making excuses, so I don't find your, your, your... uh, typical goal works for me. So, mm. yeah. yeah, we're all very good at uh, telling ourselves you did a great job on Wednesday. That's right. That's right. And you can have Friday off. Yeah, <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> I do it in a matter of minutes. Like, wow, I walked up those set steps really fast. So yeah. Now I'm just going to walk slowly. <laughs> or, you know, I did a workout today, which means I can have a burger at lunch. Yeah, yeah. I crushed it this <laughs> yeah. morning. So extra I feel really beer good. For me yeah. Tonight. Extra yeah, yeah. beer. Yeah. You know. So yeah, I. I guess it comes down to discipline. I've I've been coaching myself to be more disciplined personally these days as well. There's a few influences that I know you'll uh, vibe with. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, Jocko Willink and his extreme ownership books and mm. discipline equals freedom, all that kind of stuff. And I've started reading that recently and making changes based on that and mm. it's it's working for me. So yeah, it's we as ex soldiers or we we see ourselves as really disciplined people, but whether we're actually acting that way or not is a different story. So, because it's almost like that, some of that discipline comes as a product of the machine that you're within. And when you take take you guys out of that machine, and I want to ask you about personal responsibility and the yeah. contrast between the two, um, it's like pluck you out of that machine, and and almost like that that exoskeleton's gone now. Yeah. Uh, and so to exert that discipline personally, mm-hmm. you haven't sort of built that muscle as much. And again, this is me seeing through my lens, so yeah. I could be completely wrong with that uh, sweeping generalization yeah. of, uh, <laughs> of military personnel. But yep. uh, what's what's your perspective on that, Jason? Um, in the military, we've got mechanisms that ensure discipline and adherence to routine and stuff like that, and it's called the Defense Force Discipline Act. <laughs> <laughs> Do this or yeah. this bad thing happens to you that's right yeah but i think because of that mechanism it makes it easier for yourself to fall into a habit of discipline and routine and structure but you know at the end of the day that if you don't iron your shirt properly or turn up to work at the right time then you've got a corporal or a sergeant or a platoon commander that's going to come down on you and Mm. take your weekend away and Mm. discipline you and uh infringe you and charge you and Mm. that happens it's not a it's not a fallacy in the military. You don't get your hair cut when you're told to get your hair cut. You'll be turning up to the duty room every two hours over the weekend. So you mm. don't get a weekend. Yep. And that's typical. That's that's a common punishment in the military. And whilst it sucks, it still ensures that people adhere to being disciplined. And I guess when you leave the military and you lose that, uh, that hammer that forces you to comply, um, it's then on you personally to decide whether you're going to maintain that discipline. So I know myself like haircuts, like I can't stand having sloppy hair. And as soon as it starts getting sloppy, I've got to get it done. Whereas other people that I know can go for months without having a haircut, regardless of how they look. Mm. And I guess for me, it's you know, I, I envision myself as being a certain way, as relatively disciplined with my appearance and my, uh what's the word for it turning up places on time and mm-hmm. uh things like punctuality that's the one yep and things like that and that's that's just how i am so me and my wife constantly get frustrated when we meet up with our friends and they say 
we're going to meet at this place at 7.30 and we're there at 7.20 by a matter of habit because a good soldier's always five minutes early or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then your friends turn up at quarter to eight and you've been sitting there, you've already had two beers and you and your wife are frustrated because it was 7.30 and in the military. (laughs) (laughs) You should have been here at 7.25. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that's the difference is that you've, you've got this expectation of how people should act and it doesn't always happen. So, um, yeah. So something I'm, I'm interested in is how do you build that within your team? I mean, you've, you've got a team of coaches in your yep. business uh, and I'm, I'm sort of a, a moonlighting part of that, mate, uh, <laughs> just because I love coaching and I lo- I'm one of those people that loved CrossFit so much. Yep. I had this brilliant brainwave uh, a few years ago when I found CrossFit. It was like, oh, man, I want to open my own box, yep. uh, my own gym. And mm. so I did the numbers, yep. um, but instead of doing the coach math, I did. Yep. I had the benefit of yeah, uh, business you know, math. Yep. 15 years of business, uh, and I did the business math and went, that is the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> I'm never going to make money out of that. That's right. So, uh, so I canned that idea, and, and now fortunately I get to have a play in, uh, in yeah, your gym, mate. But, absolutely. But uh, I know you work very hard at at creating a culture with your your staff or your team. Yep. Um, do you have a method behind that? Are you following principles? Like, what's what's been the journey for you in actually doing that? Yeah. So the journey for me when I used to hire coaches, uh, the first coach I ever had was actually. Um, one of my young athletes, Riley Smith, he uh, used to train with me. Him and his family used to do PTs. He's an excellent athlete. He was working at the gym I was at previously and pretty much getting treated like shit. Mm. Um, and so when I opened my gym, almost immediately he came to me and said, can I be a coach? Mm-hmm. Can I work for you? And as much as it scared me to put someone on straight away, it, it in the long run it turned out the best. But the thing with Riley is we had this good relationship where he i mentored him through being quite a shy teenager to now he's one of the the best coaches i know he's Mm. he's got that authority when he coaches and he's not nervous anymore he's not anxious he used not he used to clam up standing in front of people which isn't a great attribute for a crossfit coach (laughs) leading a class but you know i was employing methods to help him through that so i'd sit there and i would instruct the class to stand on the opposite corner of the gym to Riley and when he goes to come closer and talk I'd tell him to get to the other corner of the gym and I'd make him instruct the class from across the gym and teach him how to learn uh, teach him how to use his voice properly and how to instruct in a you know haphazard way or haphazard situation or environment Mm. and now he, he can use his voice properly and like I said portray his instructions to a class in no matter what you know, type of environment and he does well. Mm. And the other thing is he used to get in front of a group and when he was up there, he would deliver his message, but he would do it rapidly, really, really quickly, like he was in a race. Mm -hmm. And so I used to make him stand in front of the entire class for two minutes without doing anything or saying anything. The class wasn't aware of this. They're all sitting there looking at him stupid, going, what the hell is going on here? Well, it only took a few times to do that, to just show him that, it doesn't matter how long you're in front of these people, nothing bad's going to happen and you just need to adapt and get used to standing in front of people. Yep. So with Riley, I had this uh, mentoring progression and like I said, by the time he ended up leaving Confront to go uh, pursue university studies, he was a really, really capable coach and I was sad to see him go. And then when that happened, I guess I just found people that 
displayed qualities of a coach mm-hmm. and I'd put them on and I'd make sure they had the base level of knowledge and then have them running classes pretty quickly. And that blew up in my face in that, yeah, they had the knowledge and they could, you know, teach the class and teach the movements, but I hadn't standardized their behavior. Mm. And so I was getting a bad result from these coaches and and inconsistency and the experience that our members were having. So I implemented our coaches development program. I actually think you was were the first one that went through it. Yep. I mean, you're at a pretty good level with your coaching anyway. So some of the stuff we discussed over that 30 hours of mentorship was probably suck eggs for you. But when it comes to a young coach that has never done that stuff before, Mm. um, it was invaluable in teaching them not only how to teach a squat, but how to appear professional, how to handle situations. And uh, they always say branding isn't just about your logo. It's about the experience that you create. So Mm. having our coaches all on board with that coaches development program, because I've now put two other coaches in uh, as well as yourself through that development Mm. program. And I think at the moment, our coaching team's at the best level of professionalism and consistency that it has ever been at. And I contribute it all to that development program. Mm. And um, yes, it was a big investment in my time, but it was worth it because now I know that my coaches are at a certain level. They know what I expect from them. They know what our members expect because we discuss all that in the mm. in the program. Mm. And if something isn't systemized to the point where it's written in black and white in front of them, they generally have enough knowledge and... and uh, feel for the gym that they can make the decision on the fly and produce a good result for our members so i think it's paid off and that's that was a big turning point in Mm. that you know coaching and training staff so for me it was it was uh i mean it was a lot of new uh, i guess knowledge in some ways but it was reapplying principles i've been using for years as a business coach and a mentor in a different setting so i found it fascinating to then um you know bit of that skills transference which for me has been part of my professional development and i think i'm a better a better coach uh with my business clients because i've been coaching in a yeah a physical setting that's uh, right you know in that pt type role yeah um and i'm always happy to make shit up at 5 30 a.m yeah, but uh when, it, when, the, when the workout isn't clear <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah yeah this is what we're this all doing today <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right um do you, do you feel like having that um, coach development program and I guess the way you induct new people to the team, and I'm putting words in your mouth here, Jason, yep. do you think that gave you an increased level of freedom or did that free you from thinking about the gym and the member experience and all that so much? Uh, just by virtue of the fact that we had more coaches coming through that program, it gave me that freedom. So I've, I've now got more coaches to cover classes. Because uh, when I was when I started CrossFit Confront, I was coaching twenty five plus sessions a week, mm. and as you know yourself, coaching a class, an hour class of CrossFit, isn't like doing an hour behind a, a drill or working on a air conditioning unit or whatever. An hour of coaching is, I reckon, it's equivalent to the energy level of three hours of physical work, mm-hmm. um, because you're actively thinking the whole time, you're engaging with people, you're dealing with problems, you're you know, you're switching the act on, mm. you know, you're, you're providing a, a show essentially. So you've got to zone in and focus. Mm. And so 25 hours plus was a big work week and that's not including all the stuff I was doing behind the scenes. Mm. And so 
having the coaches, extra coaches on board, and not just coaches, but coaches that know what they're doing and perform to a really good level, uh, it gives me a whole lot of time, a whole lot more time to do stuff. And it also gives me that mental release from the gym, knowing that I don't have to check in with the coaches after every class to see what went wrong. Mm. Because I know they've got it. And I know that if something did go wrong, if there was a situation that arose, we've also got other systems in place where I'd find out about that straight away. Like they'd report it on our uh, workplace group. Um, everything's fairly well communicated in the gym these days. So, mm. yeah, the that uh, mental release from the gym was invaluable, knowing that my coaches were all on the same page and they knew what they were doing. So, It's, it's, uh, it's funny... You know, we're talking about this uh, transition from military to, to business ownership and I guess the contrast between the two, in all my years of working with business owners, uh, I try and bring, without any inside knowledge of, of um, you know, military systems or anything, although I've had a few mates over the years that have, that have served and uh, family members as well, I guess there's an element of those systems and that structure that... I think is essential to running a good business. Absolutely, uh, yep. and, and that's where, and I know we're both uh, followers of Jocko Willink and, and that whole discipline is freedom. It's like if you have those habits and those disciplined practices, yep. it frees business owners especially mm-hmm. from the micromanagement and the stresses and the worries yeah. about, shit, I wonder if everything went okay. Did I haven't heard anything. I hope the members are happy. I yep. wonder if I'll get a bad review on Google. Yeah. And and not having those things mean you, you're just stuck in it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so it's 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 interesting to see that you've sort of uh, you know gone through this transition and then pretty much not that you've run a military business mm. but you know there's there's aspects to it yeah, that that's right really do hark back to that yep. area of your life absolutely yeah oh it's essential like I started the the business off like I alluded to before where you're just sort of bumbling through yeah there is no set procedure and even in the gym that I was working at before there was no real set procedure as you were. You had it explained to you how to do things and there was this culture of how things were done, mm. but there was not a system. So that if someone new walked into that job, you couldn't hand them the job in five minutes and teach them. So everything now we have or we do is documented um, or if it's not, we're in the active process of documenting it. Mm. The idea being with every system that I write is that someone should be able to look at that system and not know anything about our job or have any of the background knowledge that we do but still be able to do that process. Yeah. And um, that's been invaluable with us. And I, I guess you coaches don't see it as much on the floor because you know, we have our systems on the floor, but the things that happen in the background with holds and cancellations, um, mm. you know, starting up a membership, shutting down a membership, uh, doing marketing, uh, putting wads up, um, all that kind of stuff. There's a whole lot of work that happens in the background uh, by actually my virtual assistant Mm -hmm. where I've had to create the system in order for that assistant to do what they do and do it to the standard that I expect. And I think one of the biggest things for me as a business owner is rather than get frustrated with someone because something's not being done right consistently, don't get frustrated with them. You need to take a step back and look at yourself and go, well, why the hell can't my coaches get this shit right? Like this is... (laughs) Shouldn't they know that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like this is common knowledge. This should, this should be done automatically every single day without fail. So rather than taking that mindset, you sit back and go, well, one, have I actually taught them how to do it? Mm. Two, do they know that there's an expectation that this is going to be done? And three, if they are attempting to do it, 
have I set a system in place that makes sure it's done the same every single day? Mm. And without those three steps being completed by me, then essentially it's my fault that that system's falling on its face. So I've got no one else to blame in that instance than myself. You know, coaches or your staff aren't mind readers. You've got to lay it out for them. This is what happens. Mm. This is how it happens. And that's that's it. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Whereas the the uh, misconception by business owners and employers around the place that I've certainly seen over the years is that it's it's enough that I employ someone who has a ticket or two years experience. They should be able to do their job without me having to give them all of that. Yeah. And if I have to give them all of that, then I might as well just do it myself. Yeah. And and for me, that's that's a that's a shit story to yeah, tell yourself. That's right. Well, I mean, having just explained my uh, transition or progression with systems and training staff and stuff like that. I've got mates that are tradies. And the common complaint you get is, oh, I've got so much work on. You're like, really? How much How much you work? And they tell you, you're like, holy shit, man. Like, how are you even surviving? Yeah. You know, like, while you're here, you should be asleep. <laughs> if you've got that much work on, you should be sleeping right now. Yep. And then you ask them, you're like, oh, what's going on? Why Why you get so much work? Well, because all our, all our um, employees are shit. Yep. You know, they, they can't do it to the standard we got, so we fired them. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, sweet. So how long do they work for you? Oh, yeah, a couple of months. They were just continually fucking everything up, and you're like, "Okay, so what'd you do about it?" And they're like, "We fired them." Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, "You kidding me? Why don't you train them to your level or put a system in place that ensures that the work they're doing is to the standard?" Mm. And the the common response is, "Oh, screw that!" Like these guys had experience. They were you know two, three, four year tradies coming out of apprenticeships and stuff. They should know this stuff. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, there is an element of they should know this stuff and it would be yeah. a great world if everyone had the same level of professionalism and, and uh, you know, degree of mm. finishing a job probably. But that's not how it is mm. and it's up to you to train those people. So having gone through this same progression in my gym to hearing this stuff, it just blows my mind that that's the approach they take and it's it's craziness. Like, you and invest. me both, mate. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> If you're the boss and things aren't playing out for you with your employees, step back from the job, which is what I've had to do with the coaching stuff. Step back and form systems for your business so that you can move forward. Mm. Because, I don't know, with the future in mind, if you're not doing that, then how is your business ever going to grow if it's just you? Like, because yeah. you've fired every person previously because they can't hold the standard that you expect. Mm. So, it just blows my mind. Where and I've mentioned Jocko Willink a couple of times, uh, and, and you mentioned his book Extreme Ownership, which, like, if I was going to sum that book up in in a sentence or two, is Jocko pretty much says that everything in my life is my responsibility and my That's fault. Right. You know, That's all right. the results I've got are from my decisions and yeah. actions, which is a principle I've been teaching for ten plus years. Yeah, and that's it. Um, and I've applied it successfully and in some ways unsuccessfully in my life. Yep. Uh, it's usually a slap in the face when I catch myself not following yep. that personal responsibility line. Mm-hmm. How how has that been different for you? Like, w- would you say there's higher or lower levels of personal responsibility taken in, say, the military versus business owners and employees in city life? Um, I would say it's about the same percentage in and outside the military. Okay. Uh, military members are forced to hold a level of discipline and mm. personal responsibility because of the fact that yeah, you know, we can punish them. So there's that external stick approach. Exactly right. Big consequences. Yep. So I reckon it's it's maybe uh fifty fifty. There's there's as many disorganized people in the military as there is in civilian life. 
And the sad part about it is most of the guys that I associated in the military held a high degree of professionalism. Unfortunately, they're the ones that usually end up getting out because mm-hmm. I guess the military rewards people that don't put the effort in just just by virtue of the systems that they've got in place. Yeah. And so the good people get frustrated and they leave. So by the time I got to where I was, where I was looking at promotion to sergeant and uh, most of my good mates had already left the military and were living seemingly successful lives outside of the military and I was still stuck and I was looking up above me in the rank structure and there was really no one above me that was motivating me to be mm. like them. Like mm. I, 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 I'm a huge believer in having mentors so find someone that's really successful and acts the way you want to act and copy them. Yep. And there was no one like that. I didn't want to be like any of them so I was like, I'm done. Like this is me out. Mm. And then you come to the civilian life and you get the same thing. You get go-getters that do it because they they know that being more professional and disciplined is is going to benefit them in the long run mm-hmm. and then you've got the other ones that just you know they stumble through life life is seemingly happening to them mm. versus the people that are taking control of life and yeah so it's about the same like mm. there is uh, more rigid structures in the military there that ensure this type of behavior but it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be that that professional or that disciplined or that take that ownership so yeah it it seems like to me that the consequences of not taking ownership in business or civilian life are potentially higher personally obviously i'm not going to die if i don't get a pay rise that's right um so you know in that sense in in active duty it's Mm -hmm. it's a little different in in the defense force but uh, I can sort of exist within the system, within the machine, because yeah. you know, if I if I sort of conform to yep. a certain level, yep. I'll still advance. I'll still get my good pay yeah, packet. That's right. Whereas out here, mm-hmm. as an employee and in business, certainly as business owners, yeah, yeah, if you don't take that ownership, you're screwed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I guess I there's a an aspect of that that I just thought of now that you said that in the military, there's this minimum standard that you have to meet. So the people that are there. They're not getting fired. They're not getting kicked out of the military because they meet the minimum standard. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but they're not the guys that you want to be like. You want to be the guys that can smash the standard into the ground. Yeah. And it's the same as outside the military. You've got the people that just do the minimum standard. They put the True. work out on the board and then they set the clock and they say go and then they check their phone and they have a conversation at the back of the gym. And I witnessed all that working mm. for other gyms and that's the standard I don't want to see in my gym which I don't because my coaches are awesome mm. but that's the minimum standard but the thing is that minimum standard has to be set by someone Yeah. <laughs> and in our business that minimum standard is set by me and I guess uh, people have got to conform at least to my minimum standard which is pretty damn high or they're gone mm. and uh, yeah so then on the opposite end of the spectrum you've got the soldiers that actively strive to smash that standard and be the best at what they do and uh they're the guys you want to be around but on saying that bringing that type of attitude outside of the military it actually had a negative effect for me when i first got out in that my outwardly driven attitude uh alienated me from some of the people i was working with because they just couldn't handle it yep they couldn't handle I guess being judged against someone that was driven and they had somewhere to go and they they had a sense of urgency and purpose and they actually hated me for it and I've had a I still do have quite tense uh relationships with some people cuz they just couldn't accept the fact that I wasn't just a 
a stand to buy. I was I wanted to go places. Mm. I had this huge fear of stagnation once I got out of the military, and I didn't want to go through that. And I just I was I had a goal, and I was driven, and I was pushing in whatever way I could to get to that goal. And that, like I said, alienated some people and made them feel insecure. I guess mm. Mm. that's not. It's not my the, fault. It's, a, it's the just old how it tall is. poppy syndrome. Yeah, exactly right. And in the military, if you are around a good group of people, then, for example, like your junior NCOs, your corporals and stuff, they all know that they're being compared to each other for reporting purposes and promotions and stuff like that. Mm. So you can expect to walk in and have to perform because all of your peers are performing. And if you're not, yeah. you're at the bottom of the reporting cycle and you're not going anywhere. So that was the culture in the military that if you wanted to actually go places and get promoted you had to compete you had to be a go-getter you had to take the initiative it was expected of you um and if it if you weren't a person that could conform to that expectation then you weren't going to get promoted and you'd probably be a digger still mm. so mm. yeah so it's it's an interesting concept mate uh and i've i've seen this applied successfully on a number of occasions over the years in businesses where um, particularly amongst groups of men, and I guess it's it's hardwired into us as blokes to be competitive. Yeah. Uh, but where I've seen business owners create that internal competition or in-house yeah. competition amongst right. employees, nine times out of ten, or maybe even more, mm-hmm. people actually push harder because they want to be yeah. the person who's, that's right. if not at the top, they want to be closer to the top than they are to the bottom of the yeah, list. that's right. Exactly uh, right. And it's such a simple way to... to Mm-hmm. not motivate people i think it's more about um tapping into their internal levels of personal yep. motivation absolutely yeah i mean there's always going to be guys out there that just don't conform to that that yeah. culture of performance yep. um and competition but i think nine times out of ten with men you're pretty you're pretty safe to assume that they'll kill each they other for win. points. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they don't want to be the the bottom of the the pack they want to be at the top mm. Provided they've got a whiff of, of um, possibility there. Or, yeah, that's right. You know, that's, if, if they think that maybe yeah. I could possibly improve or get close yep. to that, they'll have a go. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's something that uh, I think is important. I don't know, fostering that culture of professionalism and, and being the best and giving your clients the best advice and who can give the best cues and stuff like that. And I mean, it does get a little bit competitive at times, but... Mm. Mm. At the end of the day, the client's benefiting from it. Yeah, They're getting yeah. all this awesome coaching because all the coaches want to be the guy that gets them the first muscle up or makes them squat properly. Or That's right. And it's good. Yeah. It works. So yeah. it enhances our member experience. It gets more work done. It you know, achieves results for our members and all through just that little bit of competition. And if you're a male out there that says you don't have that competition, you're probably lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so embrace it and go for it. Mm. I mean, you might find it a bit confronting at first that you're in a competition, but face it, every day of your life, you're in a competition. Like you talk amongst your group of mates who seemingly don't care where you are in life or where you're going in life, but shit, it's a competition. I own this much. I do this many hours or I've got this car or I've got this house. It's a competition. Even if it's unspoken, as you say, we're we're always sizing other people up and and as shit as it it may seem and from a... You know, a life coaching point of view, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're taught not to compare ourselves to others. But yeah. I, I just, I don't see any. Well, not anybody. That's a sweeping generalization. I don't see many people who don't. Yeah. Make even silent comparisons. Yeah. Oh, everyone does it. It's human nature. Like I said, to de- not to deny the fact that you are in a competition, I think, is damaging to your 
success. But the way you go about being in a competition determines what kind of man you are. Like, mm. if you're cutthroat enough to damage other people and uh, to put them down to give yourself the edge, then that just says a lot about your character. Yep. But, yeah, I think if you can, you know, embrace that little bit of competition, especially in a team, and realize that competition is good and that even if you're winning, you can still help the guy behind you. And if he gets better, then you get better by virtue of the fact that the standard is raised. Mm. So, you know, it's always that that goes back to the whole the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So if you walk past a shitty standard by someone else, mm-hmm. then that's what you've you come to expect. But at the end of the day, it lowers the bar for yourself. So yeah, that's right. help everyone around you and they'll raise the bar and in turn, you get better at everything that you're doing as well. So mm. yeah, that's that's my approach to that. Cool, mate. So uh, <clears throat> I know you've you've probably uh, got some classes to do, mate. We're not doing too bad. Uh, we've only just cracked the hour, Mark. Yeah, we we can yep. go for a while yet. We haven't even started talking about practical yeah. rifle competition. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of stuff, mate. That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, there's been some, some fantastic points in there around, uh, I guess, not, you know, whether, whether you've served in the military or not, just mm. making transitions in life. I mean, yep. whether it's transitioning from being at school and into your first job or from being an employee to a business owner or yep. from a, a technician to, you know, getting a management role. Is, yeah. Life is all about making those transitions. That's right. Well, and I wanted to ask you around that, Jason, of what, what's been some of the tools or, uh, you know, principles that you've picked up over, over your lifetime that have helped you with some of those transitions or that perhaps yep. even looking back, it's like, man, if I had this tool in my kit bag yeah. 10 years ago, that would have been so much smoother. That's right. Uh, as we were speaking about before we started today, uh, in high school, I was the quiet guy. And now, people who would see me now in my job or just in life in general because I'm a completely different person due to the fact that the military you know, built me the way that I am mm. today mm. and my experiences in the military shaped me, um, they wouldn't recognize who I am. Um, and I think a really important part of stitching all those experiences and lessons together is the ability to be self-critical or to be able to retrospectively analyze where you're going and where you've come from. Mm. I think it's just as important to realize where you've come from as it is to realize where you're going forward. Um, you know, I mean, it helps you to find weaknesses when you, within yourself. The way you've handled situations in the past can teach you a lot about who you are. Mm. So like I said, the way you react to competition, the actions you take define or you know categorize you as a human. So if you have the ability to do that for yourself, and look at yourself and go, well, shit, I didn't really perform in that situation. I mean, I got away with it because no one's trying to stone me. But yeah, in my by my own standards, I I I screwed that up. Yep. To be able to look at that and go, all right, this next time I'm going to do this, or I need to get better at this, and that can shape your future a lot. Mm. And uh, I was actually having a discussion with one of my brothers the other day. I don't think he was listening to me, but <laughs> I was talking to him or at him, <laughs> and I was saying how some people. They have life happen to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear it all the time. Oh, this happened and this happened. But then you hear some people talk and you're amongst those people for me is, yes, things are happening to them, but they've got a really good appreciation of why that happened mm-hmm. and what part they played in that. And uh, without those skills to be self-critical and to look at those those issues and the way you've handled them, you're probably going to continue failing at those things in the future. And so... We used to call it an AAR in the military, after action review. And so having the ability to sit down after any situation or um, 
you know, occurrence in your life and do your own personal AAR is really important. And one of the um, conclusions that comes out of an AAR is where you need to fix, what systems you need to fix, what tactics, protocols, and procedures need updating, Mm -hmm. and then moving forward from there. So in a nutshell, being able to perform an AAR at any at any time and be really honest with yourself is is really important so yeah there's not there's not much people could tell me about myself and my failings that i wouldn't have already known yep. or realized there's some areas that i'm a little bit touchy about like my hair loss and things like that but <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't gonna bring that up mate <laughs> but no like and there's a big fuck off mirror behind yeah. you on the wall so you can see I the can back see patch as well <laughs> <laughs> that's right so yeah it's 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 that ability i think is it's one of the best habits that I've formed that is helping me out now. So mm. the other thing is um, if you do find a shortfall in yourself, be man enough to put your hand up and address it or talk to someone about it and fix it mm. and don't get stifled by pride and just continue making the same mistakes over and over again, digging yourself into a deeper hole. So, mm. yeah. So, uh, mate, I'm, I'm going to grab hold of something there and put you on the spot a bit. Yeah. Uh, if you were to do an AAR in your life so far, yep. uh, what would be some of the key points on your scorecard, mate? Um, all right. So some of my common failings is I'm a dreamer. So mm-hmm. I have huge ideas and I don't often analyze those ideas enough before I walk into something. But on saying that, it brings out another strength of mine is there's no cuff too tough. Like mm-hmm. you're in it, just go go with it. Just mm-hmm. You might have screwed up by getting yourself to that point or in that situation, but just make it the best that you can. So I'd probably uh, be a little bit more realistic with my analysis of whether I'm jumping into a situation or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So be, you'd still jump. Yeah, you just might still jump. But just be, harder. just be flexible and willing to adapt to whatever the terrain is that you hit at the bottom. Yep. <laughs> and Because um, if you can't adapt to it, then you really will make a mistake and you're going to fail. Yep. So... Um, what else? Yeah, that's that's the main ones. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd have to have a really in-depth look. But um, you're going to go and do that now, aren't you? Mate? Oh, I, I will. I will. <laughs> I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of uh, self-help. Some people don't adapt to self-help real well because it's confronting. Yeah. But yeah, I, I uh, I'm um and and we'll wrap up, mate. But I'm always fascinated at the people who are anti. That you know they like to give it funny names and derogatory names like yep. woo woo and hippy yeah. trippy fluffy shit yeah and, you know all the headspace crap yep. and anytime you hear people putting down other ideas yeah. to me is a red flag yeah that's right um and it it has often um frustrated me because mm. the people who could benefit most from a bit of the yeah. hippy trippy woo woo that i've come across in life yep. are the people who are put that's it down right the most. yeah i um often people often criticize me for engaging in too many deep conversations mm-hmm. my wife's one of them but <laughs> i guess she bears the brunt of it because everywhere we go i end up in quite an engaging conversation with someone um so shopping trips take a long time for you yeah mate. generally <laughs> yep <laughs> but, you know like takes 40 minutes to say goodbye yep because the next topic arises and there's some topics i can't walk away from you've got to delve into that but i think the people who shy away from deep conversations like that i won't call them simple I just think they lack something that allows them to really apply themselves and think about a situation. Mm. They just want to live life at face value. 
And uh, I think that attributes that whole having life happen to them because, mm. yeah. It, it loops back to something you said at, at the start of our chat, Jason, mm. about the difference between, you know, you talked about, I guess, losing uh, a lot of mates, um, sort of leaving the military. That mateship wasn't there so much. Yep. And the conversations that you have with people outside of the service yeah. is... Um, you know, we're probably talking about the election and the weather mm-hmm. and whether the price of milk went up or That's went right. down. Yeah. Whereas most of that is stripped away when you yeah. when you exist inside that defence oh, force. Absolutely. Yep. And you're talking about real shit because, yeah. you know, from a, a, a mission or an exercise perspective, yep. there is no fluff. Yeah. There's no room for fluff. Yeah. So you get straight down to the tin tacks. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, once you... I mean, you see what people are really made of. Like, you go through some hard times and you see dudes break down and cry and it's not their fault. It's just yep. the situation. Or they, you you see people in a state where they're ready to kill people mm. Mm. and, you know, do bad things that normal people don't ever have to... Situations normal people don't ever have to face. They're not moral dilemmas the rest of us have to That's right. deal with. You know, this is, this is stuff that we've been trained for. And I think when you see those emotional sides to people, they know that you've seen them. So there's nothing else to hide. You've all been stripped back to nothing. Mm. So there is no false platitudes anymore. We all know what each other's made of. Mm. And you can get you can skip a lot of that bullshit that people go through day to day. Like, who cares about the weather or milk? Yep. Tell me about this. Yeah. What, why did your uh, relationship with your girlfriend fail, mate? Yeah. Was it because you, you, you know, you're doing this or that? And yeah, yeah. You yep. can strip right to the core on a lot of that stuff with those mates. Whereas, you know... You generally in life people do go through and they they play out the uh you know the conversation the false platitudes the niceties and stuff like that and it's a good skill to have to be able to talk to people but at the end of the day you do miss a little bit of that engaging conversation with people mm. um mm. yeah it's it's something you miss definitely so you don't feel as connected to people as you did when you're in the military with your mates and stuff like that so Sounds like the beginnings of a book for you, Jason. Oh, mate, I think it's already been written a couple <laughs> hundred times. But, you know, a good example is I we come back from Iraq. Uh, you spend, you know, up to seven months in each other's pockets. And you're like, man, I cannot wait to get away from these dudes. I'm so sick of Luke and his, he was my roommate. I'm so sick of his little, you know, idiosyncrasies. I'm, yep. I'm sick of it. And this mate, this guy's pissing me off. And you get in each other's hair. And you by mm-hmm. the end of a seven-month trip, you've had enough of each other. But then you go home and... Everyone's at work and you're on leave and you're sitting there and it's only been two days since you got back in country and you're sitting there and looking at your phone going, should I call Jezza? (laughs) I wonder what Jez's up to. I wonder what Luke's up to. (laughs) And then you end up at the movies with them because, I don't know, you're you're bonded to each other. It's your tribe, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And to to pretend that that's nothing Mm. is a mistake Mm. Um, and to not acknowledge it is a mistake as well. So, Mm. yeah, that's... That's the level of uh, attachment you're growing within the defence force. That you just—it is really hard to to create outside of that construct. Mm. So, mm. I definitely think that's missing a lot in uh, in today's society, mate. That's We've right. got uh, lots of fluff. Yeah, and you've only got to jump onto the good old stork book. Yeah, um, to oh. see plenty of fluff and 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 bubble on there. Yeah, yeah, and not a lot of real conversation going yeah. on. I guess. Uh, this, it might not be related. I maybe just want to segue to it. But like, if you and I wanted to go hunting, mm-hmm. which is extremely frowned upon these days and mm-hmm. hard to actually do, mm-hmm. because those freedoms that we once enjoyed back in the day have been stripped away from us. Mm-hmm. 
but like hunting is an activity where you and I are probably going to experience something together and figure out what each one's made out of. So yep. if I shoot a goat that's 250 meters up a pretty steep cliff mm-hmm. or steep ravine and we've both got a hike up there, we're going to we're gonna have to slug it out and then to carry that thing out. Mm-hmm. We sort of, I think we, we don't engage in as many activities these days as humans that really show people who we are like they don't test us no that's right life isn't testing anymore so you know everything's pretty it's all comfortable and when you're comfortable you're not really exposing who you are um we have a very easy life well absolutely we're we're sitting here in a carpeted office in my nice house suburbs you know comfy chairs which are destroying my posture (laughs) my circulation uh but it's like we lead such an easy life yeah, now and and I don't think many of us really find out who we truly are. Yeah. And if and when we do, it's it's you know things like in my life uh where you know my my personal safety's never been threatened mm. um or maybe a couple of times by myself but yeah. <laughs> um but you know the experiences I've been through some yep. seemingly catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, that's right. financially and emotionally it's taken that yep. for me to sort of go to the depths of myself and go, ah, yeah. oh, right, that's who I am. Yeah. I thought I was this other guy. Yeah, that's um, it. And unfortunately, for many of us, that never even happens. No, it doesn't. So we just move through life as these sort of bubble-wrapped yeah. individuals watching Netflix and, yep. and banking our super. That's it. And I, I don't know, mate, I feel like, you know, everything's just gotten so freaking watered down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's no there's no body to it anymore. That's just my thoughts on it, but... um. You know, you see it even in the gym. People come to a class together for a couple of months and they're friends, they chat, you know, exchange platitudes. How was your day? Oh, it was good. How was your day, etc. And then they commit and they go and do Tough Mudder together. And uh, they come back and they're, they're a completely different dynamic mm. between each other because they've gone through some kind of head, shared hardship. And they probably did witness one of them cry or, you yep. know, be ready to quit. And they were challenged and next thing you know, the people that they did that with have jumped up to the next level of friendship and mm. and connection. So mm. I think that's the stuff that we lack these days. So yeah, the I'd, challenges are... I want to drag some people. I think we were thing. chatting uh, a while ago, mate, about yeah. dragging people out to, yeah. uh, just yeah, to test them. Yeah, that's right. Them. Absolutely. You know, male or female. I mean, it's, it's yep. not exclusively the, yeah. the domain of men. But that's right. You know, I believe that's one of the reasons why uh, my partner and I are, are so close. Mm. Um I think in in terms of our understanding and support of each other is yep. we we do both CrossFit and we have both competed individually and together, funnily enough. Yep. Um, but we've trained together quite a lot. Mm. And I think we've seen each other struggle with Absolutely. stuff. Yep. And and I think that gives a personal insight in, into mm-hmm. another yep. another human, as you're saying. That's right. That I think allows that understanding. And it's mm-hmm. like you can sit down and talk real stuff. Yep. and not be worried about tiptoeing around you. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. So, yeah, maybe oh, it's true. Couples that train together, mate. That's right. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> you can start a whole new business. Yeah, mate. that's right. CrossFit for couples. <laughs> yeah. The, we build relationships and muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah, like that. A whole, but we got to stop you from dreaming, mate. Cause yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> you've already mentioned that. Financially not viable, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm going to go and plan a hunting trip, mate. Now that you mention that, it sounds yeah. like uh, sounds like well, a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we've we've had some planned. I mean, we went to New Zealand mid year for a shooting comp, mm. and while we're over there, that sort of wanderlust. You're looking into the mountains. You're not up in them quite. Mm. Be sort of like oh, I could just walk away with this rifle and go up there and hunt and live and yeah. for a week. 
mm. and you sort of crave it, you mm. know, financially and with your life and it's a uh, schedule that you have to keep. Yep. Sometimes it's not possible, but yeah, I definitely think uh, it should be done more often. And like you said, with your um, solo hikes, the amount of people that wanted to go with you on your solo ho- solo hike, hike, sorry, yeah, yeah. kind of, it kind of phenomenal, like destroys the solo hike concept. Yeah, it does. But, uh, <laughs> it does. But the concept of um, escaping. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate I've got some good hobbies that take me away mm. and I can get away and escape. But um, uh, a lot of people lack that opportunity. So, yeah, we're sort of trapped by our own comforts these days. It and, takes an effort to get away. And our own choices, mate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we take that principle you mentioned earlier. It's like... We, we set our lives up mm. the way they are yeah and and when we when we sort of stare in the mirror at two o'clock in the morning in yeah. the, the silence of night that's right you know metaphorically speaking honestly we've got what we've got because yep. we chose it that's right uh, and we can have something different mm-hmm. if we just choose it yeah oh, all the time you hear people talk about life changes or career changes and they come up with excuses before you even you've even had to contribute to their conversation. Mm. They've already given you the excuse of why they're not actually going to do it. So that conversation ends quickly with me because it's like, well, if you're not going to do it, then we'll talk about something else. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about the weather or the yeah, price of milk. That's right, because all you're doing <laughs> is you're stifling yourself. You're, yeah, you've constricted yourself before you've even given yourself an opportunity to try. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 get themselves trapped in what they've created for themselves, and they're unhappy about it but they continue to do it. Mm. And it's through that attachment to comforts like a good wage yep. or location. Yep. So, yeah. so, so mate, uh, I, I couldn't finish this uh, this chat uh, without talking a bit more about CrossFit. Yeah. Um, is it a cult? Uh, in a way. But the definition of a cult, the, you know, implies that there's something sinister happening. Mm-hmm. But in CrossFit, only good things are happening. So it has some of the same characteristics as a cult, but it's definitely not because we only see good results. There's no mass suicides in CrossFit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we only see fitter and stronger people walking in and out of our gyms day to day. I guess the where the cult comment comes from is the people that are outside of CrossFit and they just see all these people banding together and being overly enthusiastic about something and they don't understand it. Mm. And then one day, if they ever, you know, nut up and get the balls to walk in, they're going to understand it, and they're probably going to love it as much as the person that they were criticising a couple of weeks ago. Yep. But um, I think it's because we're so supportive of each other. Like, our gym has a great culture, and as much as people say that I've built that, and it's, you know, you've done a great job, Jace, I actually haven't done anything active to foster that culture. I guide it but ultimately it determines its own shape. And one of the great things is that the people that don't fit into that culture of supporting each other or supporting anyone, even if it's someone they don't know, you know, to go up to someone you don't know and give them a high five at the end of a workout is something that's unseen in a lot of other gyms. And people who don't like that or don't vibe with that, they don't stick around. Mm. And we're not sad about that at all. If you're not a person that can be supportive of someone you don't know, um, even if they did half the work that you just did, then you probably don't belong in our gym. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that sense, that that level of engagement with people uh, and that level of support for people that you're not actually invested in their success but you show that you care anyway mm. is something that's unique to a CrossFit gym. So 
uh, in that way, that level of enthusiasm, I think, cult, uh, you know, cultivates that cult um, comment. Yep. But it's definitely not. Because there's nothing bad happening there. We don't have gates. We don't wear cloaks. There's no hoods. <laughs> it's it's funny though, mate. Because uh, and I've I've only been crossfitting for a bit over three years personally, and and coaching for for about twelve months. Um, but you know they talk about cult films. Yeah. And uh, and and cult bands. Yeah. And that's seen as is kind of a cool thing. You know they have yeah, this cult right. following. That's right. And it's interesting that the. Uh, the the way that term is used about CrossFit is yeah. in the negative rather yeah, than that's the positive. Right. And I, I think, think it scares yeah. people. Absolutely. Like um, uh, CrossFit is such an engaging experience or an engaging way to approach fitness that you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And you and I both know that everyone out there on the street should be doing CrossFit because it really is the most effective way to train. Mm. But not everyone will do CrossFit. It's just not for everyone. Mm. They should do it, but they won't. It's just not how it is. So when it comes back to the whole cult film or cult uh, band type mm. thing, Napoleon Dynamite, that mm. was an awesome movie. I loved it. <laughs> but there's a whole lot of people out there that hate it. So <laughs> that, For good reason to yeah. I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> that cult thing, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, and that's where yeah. I think the, the it fits in with the cult. It's very uh, polarizing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's mate? right. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, a lot of people allow CrossFit to polarize them before they even give it a chance. Mm-hmm. Because they just can't handle that kind of enthusiasm about anything. And when they see that kind of enthusiasm about something, they're suspicious of it. And they yep. write it off before they give it a shot. So, yeah. So, all I can say in summary is if, if you're out there and you want to get into your fitness and you're lost and you've tried seemingly every other possibility, but you haven't yet walked into a CrossFit gym, you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, because as soon as you walk in, you're going to be embraced and they're going to teach you some things that will stick with you for life. And they're going to show you a hard time, mm. but it's going to benefit you drastically. It's going to change the way you look at life. It's going to change the way you react to other adverse situations. You're going to mm. have the fitness to deal with stuff. And you're going to have a great group of people behind you supporting you, not just in the gym, but in life in general. So, mm. yeah, give, do yourself a, a service and walk into a CrossFit gym and, and give it six weeks. I mean, it's going to be hard, but, yeah, you'll you'll love it. Best things in life are hard, mate. Yeah, that's right. If it's not hard, it's not worth it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so. Well, mate, it's been an awesome chat. Um, Thanks, mate. I know uh, we could sit here for another couple of hours, I oh, suspect. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I can see your phone flashing at you and I, and I don't <laughs> even want to look at mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're in Toowoomba, listeners, uh, and you're either a CrossFitter or you want to find out what CrossFit is all about, check Jason and his box out. That's the term for a CrossFit gym because we just had to be different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll refrain from saying check out Jason's box. But uh, It's a cold it's, thing. You won't get it. Yeah, yeah. It's CrossFit <laughs> Confront, uh, crossfitconfront.com.au up here on the range in good old Toowoomba. Uh, best CrossFit. Actually, we'd have to say best gym in Toowoomba, mate. Oh, full stop. Undeniably. And, and actually, I just I want to give you a bit of a, a plug and a shout-out, mate. <laughs> um, the, the local rag here, the uh, Toowoomba Chronicle, ran a, uh, a reader's vote. And yeah. like most of those things, you know, whoever most actively shares yep. on Facebook gets yeah, the most votes. Right. But, uh, but it was a pretty good accolade to see um, CrossFit Confront up there. Yeah. I think it was like two or three or yeah, something out, so. of, out of like 30 or 40 gyms yep. in this in yep. this city. So And we didn't plug it at all. No, no. Um <laughs> Most of our members are too busy working out. Yeah, that's right. All but posting their own pictures of results <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> Here's me doing a box jump. Yeah. 
So, um, so it was a very good accolade, mate. Yeah, and I think, awesome. like, uh, I, th- I think only one of two CrossFit gyms that made it into that yeah, sort of top twenty or thirty right. gyms. So, um, mate, obviously, what you're doing is working. Uh, I certainly love uh, being a part of it, mm. and um, as a member and as a uh, as a part time coach, mate. So, yeah. um, awesome chat. Uh, Thanks, mate. I'm dead set going on Google hunting trips. So, yeah, well, uh, it's great to have you on board, both the gym and here. But, um, yeah, embrace yourself for. 2018 because we've got a few changes coming up so cool, which man. you'll enjoy sounds good in both the gym and outside the gym so <laughs> i like it mate more yeah. opportunities for personal yeah, growth. yeah like i think i'm going to new zealand next year maybe you can take along <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully my fiance doesn't listen to this episode she'll wonder where the money went <laughs> yeah and maybe she's cool with being replaced by a rifle as a companion <laughs> but we'll see we'll see how it goes <laughs> we'll see how that works out hey? yeah all right well thanks again mate great to have you on the show no worries thanks man so there you go, my chat with Jason from CrossFit Confront in sunny Toowoomba. If you'd like to find out more information about Jason's CrossFit facility, go to all the W's, CrossFit Confront, C-O-N-F-R-O-N-T dot com dot A-U. Now, I said at the top of this episode that you could win some stuff and uh, running a little promo at the moment, you might uh, have listened to the episode I did with the guy from Miracle Sandbags, Andre John. Uh, now, these sandbags are cool. They're sandbags without sand. Uh, weird, you would think. But anyway, <laughs> they're basically like kids' nappies, I guess. Um, you stick these empty bags down where there's water going to come in, and they soak up the water and then turn into a sandbag. It's like something out of Transformers. Anyway, um, Andre has kindly uh, offered a couple of uh, packs of these things to give away, worth 30 bucks each, and you could win one simply by going to the Tradies Business Show Facebook page and commenting in there with how you could use your twin pack of Miracle Sandbags. How could you use a couple of these things? Could you stop a drain from flooding someone's house? Could you uh, stop some water ripping through your new landscaping project? Let me know. Go comment. Trade his business show on Facebook. Tell me how you would use them. And I'll be drawing a winner towards the end of December 2017, which is about when this show is um, is being aired. So uh, apart from that, hope you're having a great week. Hope you have a great week ahead. Hope you enjoy the episode. Whatever you thought, however you feel, hit me on Facebook, Trade his business show. Tell me what you think. Tell me who you'd like to hear on the show. If you've got any great guest ideas, ideas, how about ideas? Let me know. Uh, I think it's time for me to go now. All right, till next time. Hooroo. You've been listening to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.